Hello, everyone. It's June 23rd, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, where we read aloud together the entire Bible over the course of a year, verse by verse, page by page. And as we do so, we're getting a better picture of what God is up to in this redemptive plan of His that is centered in His Son. It was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures that God would bring about the restoration of a people that had gone bad, prostituting their humanity to the worship of self and their self-made gods. And as we have come to see, this plan of salvation is centered in the person of the Messiah, God's Son, Jesus Christ. My name is David McAdam pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and I am pleased to serve as your tour guide as we near the halfway point of our journey through the Bible. We find ourselves today in the book of 2 Kings. Some exciting events take place in our upcoming reading. The power of God is on display in raising the dead, healing the leper, and also bringing punishment upon the greedy. In the New Testament, we will be reading more of the history of the early church and the power of the gospel which was demonstrated to the Jew first and is now going to the Gentiles, and this move of the Spirit will be defended at the First Jerusalem Council. First, let's see how Elisha works the works of the Lord in the book of Second Kings, chapter 4. We'll start with verse 18 and read through to chapter 5, verse 27. You ready? Elisha raises the Shunammite son. Second Kings, chapter 4, verse 18. When the child had grown... He went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, All is well. Then she saddled the donkey, and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me until I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitterness, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, Tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply, and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up 
and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again, and walked once back and forth in the house, and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, when there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set on the large pot, and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds, and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some for the men to eat. But while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. He said, Then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, Pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the firstfruits, twenty loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Chapter 5 Naaman Healed of Leprosy Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went out, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots, and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry, and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he surely would come out to me, and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place, and cure the leper. 
are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, Go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. When Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give me a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house. And he sent the men away and they departed. He went in and stood before his master. And Elijah said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence a leper, like snow. And this is the end of our reading of today's portion from the Old Testament, the book of Second Kings. Now we will take a few moments to recap and reflect upon what we have just read. I hope you are enjoying reading through the second book of Kings. These historical narratives give us much to think about. The prophets remind us of those who testify of God's truth among the leaders, the kings, and the commanders of this world. All of us who have heard the word are required to be faithful to deliver it to others as the Holy Spirit directs us. Elijah and Elisha have had their work cut out for them. The religion of Baal, with its luring promises of material prosperity and provision for sexual promiscuity, had become the official state religion with the reign of Ahab and Jezebel. This evil continued with Ahab's sons, Ahaziah and Jehoram. 
Elijah had expressed the heart of his mission and message to call God's people back to himself in repentance and faith when he cried out to the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in prayer, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 37. True repentance involves fresh obedience. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. God vindicated his name in answering the prayers of his servants. Elijah and Elisha also had a ministry to those who were outside the covenant promises of Israel. You will remember that Elijah went to the widow at Zarephath. Elisha was called upon, in today's reading, to minister to a Syrian, Naaman. Jesus referred to incidents in the ministry of Elijah and Elisha in Luke chapter 4, verses 25 through 27. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. You will remember that a wealthy but childless woman of faith from Shunem in northern Israel offered to provide the prophet Elisha hospitality. She and her husband did so to the extent of not only providing food and drink, but building a small room with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp where Elisha could stay whenever he was ministering in the area. Elisha announces that the childless woman would have a son in a year's time in return for her kindness. Happily, the prophecy is fulfilled. Years later, when the promised child had grown, he is taken ill. He goes out to his father who is working in the fields at the time of harvest and complains of an intense headache. He is so weak that he is told to be carried home to his mother, where he eventually dies on her lap. The mother has the faith that her son can be raised from the dead and lays the boy's dead body on the bed of the man of God and shuts the door behind her. It is likely that she is concerned that if discovered that the boy is dead, he would be buried before Elisha could resurrect him. She announces to her husband that she is going after the man of God without explaining the reason. Her husband questions why she would want to find the man of God on a day that is not a religious holy day. When she meets the man of God, a series of events are set in motion. The servant Gehazi is sent on ahead and places Elisha's staff of authority over the dead boy. However, Elisha himself must come and stretch himself out over the boy, following the example of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 24, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand. This is a picture of faith's identification with the work of Christ and the name of Christ, the resurrection and the life. After doing this twice, the boy's body is warmed. He sneezes seven times and is restored to life. Later in the story, we will discover that the death and resurrection of this son will serve a hidden purpose, and through circumstances of divine providence will be the means of restoring a lost inheritance to the woman's family. In 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 1-6. through 6. During a time of famine, Elisha commands his servant to make a large pot of stew for his company of prophets. 
As one of them goes out to collect herbs, he discovers some wild gourds to put in the stew instead, not knowing that they were poisonous. The wild gourds are a picture of the effects of the fall. There were no poisonous vegetables in Eden. Their addition to the stew makes it inedible. There is death in the pot. Elisha makes the otherwise inedible stew edible, not by taking the gourds out, but by flour being added in, put into the stew by his own hand. Elisha commands his servants to serve it to the people to eat. One cannot help but see how the ministry of Christ is prefigured in the ministry of Elisha. A man from Baal Shalisha brings Elisha twenty loaves of barley bread, the first fruits of the first harvest of the spring. Elisha says the exact words that Jesus will say to his disciples, Give it to the people to eat. See Matthew chapter 14, verse 16, Mark chapter 6, verse 37, and Luke chapter 9, verse 13. The response of one of Elisha's disciples is similar to that of one of Jesus' disciples when asked to feed the multitude. How can I set this before a hundred men? John chapter 6, verse 9. The loaves are set before the hungry crowd, and the people eat. And as the word of the Lord spoken through Elisha predicted, in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 43-44, to 44, there will be ample leftovers, just as when Jesus fed the multitudes. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 44, Matthew chapter 14, verse 20, Mark chapter 6, verse 43, Luke chapter 9, verse 17, and John chapter 6, verse 13. We see the simplicity of the gospel reflected in the healing of Naaman, captain of the Syrian king's army who suffered with leprosy in 2 Kings chapter 5. A nameless young slave girl who had been taken captive from Israel was serving Naaman's wife. She testifies of the power of the Lord God of Israel present with his prophet Elisha and assures her that he could bring healing to her husband. Naaman believed the report that the God of Elisha can heal and is given official permission to be sent to Israel. The king of Israel learns that Naaman is being sent to him to be healed and panics. He does not even consider the power of the one true God, Yahweh. Instead he asks, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? He tears his robes, not knowing what to do. Naaman brings great wealth to reward those who can bring him a cure for his disease. The king of Israel does not call for the prophet, but the prophet hears of the king's dilemma. Elisha sends word to the king to have Naaman sent to his house. Naaman will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Because Naaman was a great man, he expected to be treated with special dignity. He was offended when, instead of being met by the great prophet Elisha himself, he is met with a messenger with a simple message. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10. The Jordan River has symbolic significance in the scriptures, representing the natural life of man in Adam. We saw this when Joshua and the children of Israel crossed the Jordan at the end of the forty years of wandering in the wilderness. They crossed over on dry ground with the waters of the Jordan backed up as far as Adam. The Jordan has its sources in Mount Hermon and wanders two hundred miles, twisting and turning as if attempting to avoid its inevitable fate to flow into the Dead Sea. The bodily immersion into the Jordan prefigures identification with the putting to death of the natural man in the last Adam, Christ, to emerge as a new man, a new creation in Christ. The number seven speaks of the sufficiency of this faith identification with the Word of God, Christ Jesus. 
Elisha's prescription is a picture of believing in the sinless substitute who was put to death on the cross, was buried and raised to be the author of new life, and the federal head of a new humanity, a restored human race. The pride of the natural man resists God's wisdom, his simple plan of salvation, to turn from our own plan of salvation and believe on the person and perfect redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Notice the contrast between the great man and the little girl. The great man, Naaman, had come prepared to pay for his cure. The truth of the gospel is that we cannot pay or deserve God's favor in healing the leprosy of our sin and restoring us to wholeness as a new creation. Naaman's servants confront him with his pride. Naaman finally humbles himself to submit to God's cure. This account is a wonderful testimony of the simplicity of the gospel of Christ, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. But it is also a warning to keep the message clear that the gift of new life in Christ cannot be merited, earned, or bought. Ironically, Elisha's servant, Gehazi, does not understand why his master turns away Naaman's offer of a reward for his healing. So Gehazi catches up with Naaman and fabricates a story of how Naaman's money would be useful to support some of their ministry needs. Naaman gives more than what is asked for. Gehazi does not realize that his master, by the power of the Spirit, is being made aware of his deceitful action. He is consequentially punished with Naaman's disease of leprosy coming back upon him. And this is where we leave our story in the Old Testament reading, and we go to our next stop, which is the New Testament, the book of Acts, chapter 15, verses 1 through 35, the Jerusalem Council. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. 
Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. The Council's Letter to the Gentile Believers Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders, with the whole church, to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter, The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. End quote. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament book of Acts. This chapter shows us how the gospel of grace is defended in the early church. There are insights into how problems are solved and decisions are made in the church. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. Acts chapter 15 verse 6 Some were teaching that you must follow through with the initial circumcision rite to be a genuine bona fide Christian. These teachers were Judaizers, insisting on conformity to the law of Moses as a prerequisite to the Christian faith. The proceedings at the Jerusalem Council are instructive for congregations working on problems today. Number one, there was opportunity for discussion in verse 7, especially by representatives of those who were affected by the decision. Number two, Peter spoke up in verse 7. Number three, the missionaries with first-hand experience, Paul and Barnabas themselves, reported in verse 12. Number four, James, the leader, spoke up in verse 13. Number five, task forces were chosen by the whole church. Number six, 
Unanimity among leaders was sought. Number seven, they all sensed the witness of the Holy Spirit's pleasure in verse 28. Number eight, the people were glad and encouraged in the Lord. What a wonderful model for the church to first seek a shared confirmation of the mind of the Spirit. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Acts chapter 15, verse 28. The Jerusalem Council encourages cultural sensitivity in this major transition in which there is a new creation, a new covenant community that transcends the Jewish and Gentile distinctions. The council members send a clear message to the Gentile churches with two commands and two concessions. The two commands forbade sinful practices which were prevalent among the Gentiles, sexual immorality and idolatry. The two concessions had to do with the need to use discernment so not to cause their Gentile and Jewish brothers to stumble. The prohibition against eating blood was given before the law in the time of Noah's family beginning a new life after the flood in Genesis 9 verse 4. It was then repeated by Moses in Leviticus chapter 17 verses 11 to 14, Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 23. The Jews had to eat meat that was kosher or clean. Meat that was kosher had to be killed properly. Animals killed by strangulation might retain some of the blood and make it unfit for the Jews to eat. Not all the stipulations in the Jerusalem Council's letter are of the same nature. The concessions were due to situations in which each people group might be offended by the cultural taboos perpetrated by the other. Jesus declared all foods clean in Mark chapter 7, verse 19. In the cultures of the unregenerate Gentiles and Jews, food had additional cultural meanings ascribed to them due to their being associated with the temples of idols or Old Covenant dietary laws. If these were still present in the consciences of the other group for the sake of love and unity, they should restrict their liberty in order to promote the work of the gospel. Later, in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he will clarify that the forbidding to eat meat sacrificed to idols was only necessary if it would be in danger of causing a brother to stumble or hindering a person from coming to Christ, in 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through chapter 10. We are to exercise discernment in these matters if we are in like circumstances. Our next stop on our Bible tour is the book of Psalms, and Peter Healy will be reading Psalm 141, verses 1 through 10. Psalm 141, a Psalm of David. O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayers be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. And let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. When their judges are thrown over the cliff, then they shall hear my words, for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. But my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. 
Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of the evil doers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets. Will I pass by safely? Thank you, Peter. In this psalm, the psalmist turns from external troubles of slander to the subtle internal temptations to turn from loyalty to the Lord. In attitudes of heart, in verse 2, speech, in verse 3, and deeds in verse 4. David expresses his openness to discipline from God-fearing friends, and he prays he will resist the external influences of evil in verses 5-7 through and 9-10. through Verse 8 summarizes David's prayer to be able to resist temptation. For my eyes are toward you, O God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. It is all right to ask the Lord questions and ask for help, but we must not fail to listen to His counsel and wait for His answers. And for today's final stop on our Bible tour, we go to the book of Proverbs, the treasure chest of wisdom, Proverbs 17, verse 23. The wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. We must be aware of undue influences from both without and within. We are not to be bribed by others, nor by the deceitfulness of our own hearts, from our own bosom. The ways of the human heart often pervert the ways of justice. Be alert to potential shenanigans. Let's pray. O Lord, you are investing much in your disciples, teaching them not to lean on their own understanding, but to look to you for daily provisions and answers to prayer. You have the perfect solution for this world that has been contaminated by sin. There is death in the pot, but we look to you and your holy word, our bread from heaven, to bring the healing we need. Help us to humble ourselves so we fully agree with the terms of our redemption, turning from our sin and casting ourselves totally upon you, our Lord, in identification with your great name. Help us individually and as a church to hear and implement the mind of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the time has flown by and we really must go. Until next time. May the word of Christ dwell in your hearts richly. Don't forget, if you have any questions or comments, you can contact us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like a written copy of the commentary on our daily reading, you can subscribe at our website, newlife.org.